0: This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air tonight with Gabriella Milgram for the first time. Welcome to the Fam Electric Ghost podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited.
0: Want well, to let people know that we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see the icon up there, listed on Newsly. We'll be on Newsly later tonight. Uh, if you use coupon code Ghost to get one month free premium subscription to that podcast, if you use that coupon code. Again, we're a featured podcast on that platform. And uh, this is going to be episode 922 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast. We've been on the air since uh, 2016 on Apple Podcast. So that's where we're tracking that. And then this episode, we're going to focus on a successful design project isn't about the visions, it's about the strategy. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go back to your two um, um, URLs. So we've got both of them that we had, and people th- those will be clickable when people um, get the final podcast that's out there on Facebook or YouTube or the other platform. But we have your GabriellaMilgram.co uh, website. So if people go to that website, can they book consult- a, con- a consulting session or consultation with you there? Yes. Great, great. So we like to give people that and let them know. For those who are listening, that that's there, uh, www.gabriellamogom.co. Um, so you've been an accredited interior designer and professional project manager. You've been in the industry over twelve years, managing like multi-million-dollar uh, residential projects and commercial spaces and hospitals. And you you teach people, especially specifically women, how to create their dream home. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe you can talk about what that means um, from, from your perspective. What What is a dream home to people? I guess everybody has their own that concept. Of how do you facilitate that with people?
1: Yes. So the vision of what a dream home will be will differ per person. But everyone has an idea in terms of wanting their home to feel a certain way and normally it's an emotional reaction you want it to be warm you want it to be inviting you're looking for your home to be an embodiment and an outward expression of yourself a place where your family can can come back to it's that kind of antithesis of everything that you've ever built for in your life and you've created is that symbolism of a home so really what that ends up looking like is different per person but my goal is really to be able to give, specifically women, because we tend to be more in the dark when it comes to these specific strategies, but the tools and the tactics that they need in order to more effectively create their dream homes in a way that is going to work for them individually, rather than thinking that it needs to be a certain thing that might not actually work for them in the long run.
0: Now, when you do these design projects because of like what's gone on with the pandemic, are mm-hmm. a lot of the dream homes you deal with now actually have integrated home business offices and facilities? So, because I would think, like what I do, you know, in my own home, it's, you know, it's a home I bought. I didn't build it, but it was brand new and I kind of made it so I could have a bedroom studio. Mm-hmm. So I have yes. a bedroom studio that I built, but I would think if I could have built it from scratch, I would have certain things built so I would it would facilitate that better than it is right now.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you've been building it or if you were looking to remodel, I'm sure you'd put in acoustic panels and all those things so that it's got a higher sound acoustic rating. But, uh, yes, so with the pandemic and even prior to, but the pandemic definitely uh, increased the surgence of it would be the rise in people needing spaces within their homes that are multifunctional. Either that they can pull out an office space and utilize as it's needed if they don't always work from home or that transition where they always work from home and they need to convert an existing space to be able to work for them.
0: Yeah, I was wondering because there's so many different levels. I mean, you can have people who are, you know, doing like design work. They've got to have really high speed Internet. They might need to have, you know, the infrastructure set up almost like it's like a, like a business. So mm-hmm. it's almost like you're integrating some business level capabilities with a home. Definitely. And so yes. is, that, is that what you run into with when you get to these big big projects with people like the multi-million dollar type of residential projects?
1: Well, I mean to to clarify, so I have two streams of my business. So I've got my design studio, which is Jinji Design Group, where I will execute the projects for you. We'll sit down Um, You'll engage me as your interior designer and project manager. And I run through all of these questions and I go through the entire design process and I create that design plan, that compilation of materials, resources, lighting, everything that brings that entire idea together. And then I help you manage the execution and manage the contractors so that it's built how it needs to be built and exactly how you want it. That's one facet of my business. The other facet, which is um, the GabriellaMilgram.co is me teaching you how to do it. So it's giving you my 12 plus years of design and management experience, boots on the ground, construction management, project management, interior design skills and and experience in your home, as well as one-on-one with me, where I will teach you how to go through the process more effectively. So you're not left in a situation where your space doesn't work for you or you had to cut a whole bunch of options out because you ended up being way over budget because no one taught you how to create a budget or you know that you needed all these different aspects to a project and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off because you had no idea that all these things needed to be figured out and these things needed, needed to be found and your lead times are too long and how do you manage all these different components? That's what I teach you.
0: Yeah, because it seems like you have to have like zoning for certain things and, you know, do you have the right, you know, piece of land to do what you want to do? Could it support what you want to do? And then what do you, you know, you know, you have to really think like the whole holistic approach to like everything, Mm -hmm. not from this to design. Like, are you in the right place to do what you want to do? Is it, is it actually going to have access to the capabilities that you need? And then the budgeting for like all the things that you want to have. So it seems like like, if you, if you're somebody that's like, well, I don't know if I could handle that. You, you're saying that you could do the whole project or you, somebody who feels like, oh, I'm going to be like a Home Depot person. I'm going to try to do some of it. Um, so they they could do it yourself with with consultation with you
1: yes exactly yes so if you're more someone who you start getting into a project and you realize that there's a whole other layer of complexity that you never even thought to of either renovating remodeling or building a home and you're like i don't have the capability i work full-time or this is something that's way over my head i want to hire someone to do this for me and then bring me in where i'm needed to that's one section where i can help out in but if you're someone who's like I want to do this myself this is my home i want to be able to create this space for myself and you're going through the process and you're also realizing that there's a lot more to it than you thought and you feel very overwhelmed and very stressed out by it and you're realizing that that vision board or that pinterest compilation of images isn't actually serving you and it's leaving you more stressed out more overwhelmed because you don't know what to do with it that's where i come in because that's really where I find is that with the design gurus and the influencers that are out there, there's this predominant statement that you start with a vision board. Let's start with your mood board. Let's start with your vision board. What do you want the space to look like? And then there's this idea that you create this mind map of sorts of images, and then that becomes your Bible. And then that's going to be enough for you to be able to make all the decisions to figure out everything that's going into your space. And the reality is, is it's not. There's a lot of questions and a lot of strategy that needs to go in planning that needs to go into it at the beginning that then informs the design and then the design informs the strategy and it's kind of a back and forth process to really nail down all of that design features and to give you the answers to the questions that are going to come up as you go through the process.
0: That makes sense to me. I'm a a software designer, so we have to start with what we call infrastructure, Mm -hmm. and that's not as sexy as like okay the actual idea like, exactly that means, that means like the database the tech that we're going to use the, the the constraints that we have mm-hmm. so like we look at it before well, well, we're using oracle or we are using blockchain there's certain things that that technology can do and they can't do yes. you just kind of have a pie in the sky and it's like we don't think about what your infrastructure is is it going to be a steel frame is it going to be a wood frame is it going to be an a-frame is it going to be in a place that has Good well water. Does it have connections to the utilities? Does it have high speed internet? If you just want your space, where you don't think about all the things that aren't probably like maybe in the back of your head because you're mm-hmm. not an engineer or you're not an architect, but you didn't actually think out the things that will actually be the roadblock. That you can't do that because like you're you got bad, bad, um, you know, soil quality. You can't support mm-hmm. what you're trying to build.
1: <laughs> well, now well, if you're, if you're building a home, right. But like, I'm even talking about if someone is looking to, I don't know, say redesign their bedroom or their bathroom, for instance, the, the mm-hmm. ongoing thought process is like, I'm going to do this bathroom. I'm going to completely redo it. And I want it to look this way. So then you go down this, this visual tunnel, and you start looking at images on Pinterest and Instagram. And you're like, Ooh, I like this for my bathroom. And I like this for my bathroom. And you're compiling them together and you create this vision board of sorts. And you're like, this is what my dream bathroom is going to look like. And you think that that document by itself, which is just images, is enough to get you to the finish line. And it's like you mentioned with software design strategy and the tactics behind it and the planning and all these questions that you need to be asking and figuring out beforehand that actually inform the design decisions, they're not sexy. No one really wants to do it. Right. It's not like anyone wants to deep dive into a budget and figure out all those complexities, but if you don't figure out and you don't really dive into those questions, which is like your priority list. And that really drives how a project is going to go about. Why? Because at any point in time in a project, things are going to happen on site that are going to differ from what you thought was going to happen. And if you don't have that priority list that says, these are the things that need to happen in this bathroom, for example, mm-hmm. these are my wish list items, when stuff starts to go awry and you need to make all these decisions, you don't know what can be scrapped. You don't know what areas you can pull back from and do at a later date that are not going to totally blow up your entire project, cause a trickle down effect, or completely change the design in its entirety that then when you, and when it's done, you look at the bathroom and you go, well, it's not really what I wanted because you never really mapped it out from the beginning. You just found images and said, mm-hmm. this is what I'm gonna do. And then we're just rolling with it as you were executing the bathroom rather than planning it from the beginning.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like 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 if I want to get like, what's kind of, you know, like, I want a steam sauna in a bathroom it's got, like, you know, the, the latest tech with, like, you know, the audio systems integrated into the steam mm-hmm. shower. And the venting and the whole thing. It's <laughs> like a big a big bathtub. It's got all this stuff, and it's, but it's way bigger than my current space. So then exactly. you have to, like, architecturally expand, like, the second floor of the house to support it.
1: For, well, for and you. then even in the example of a steam shower, what type of extra infrastructure from venting. Do you need to put into that bathroom? And yeah. then what is that going to look like? That's going to take you talking to a mechanical, um, trade in advance asking, is this even feasible? Cause they're going to have to attach to your existing line. They're going to have to vent outwards. What do they need to put into it? What additional HVAC systems do they need to support? How does that work and where is it going to go? And if you have this idea in your head and you start going through it before you've even mapped out feasibility, as well as cost, you're going to get to a point too late in the project where you're like, oh crap, I can't actually do this.
0: Yeah, could and even, like
1: to, the,
0: <laughs> or could the floor even support the weight of what you're trying to put in? You exactly. I mean? Can you have to, do you have to re-plumb, like do a lot of plumbing to get mm-hmm. that to actually send the water at the level you want? Can you heat it at the level without getting a new water heater? Like, did you actually even think about doing that? Yeah. When you actually probably need a special like, you know, uh, water heater to actually do what you're trying to do. And well, you just, we Or that. your pressure,
1: right? Like, can yeah. the pressure that's coming into your house even support it? Yeah. And I don't, from a, from a program perspective and the programs and offerings that I have, we don't go deep dive into like these individual specifics, but we go through the checklist and the foundations in terms of these questions that you need to be asking yourself that inform how the project is going to go about. And then all of those different portions that you need to be working through as you're executing the design, because, again, they go hand in hand. Design itself is not this separate entity that just exists on its own, separate from planning. And that's what most people do is they figure out this is what I want to do in a space and I'm just going to run with it and then they don't really plan it. They don't really figure out the numbers and they're just they're going and they're picking things as they're going. So they're designing as they go. And that's how you end up with an incredibly inflated and way over budget project that you're either pulling back from too late or you're like, oh my God, this bathroom cost me $20,000 when it was supposed to cost you five because you didn't figure it out. So it's about giving you the tools and the foundations that you need at the forefront to walk through a project in a systematic process. Again, not sexy, but it's what we as interior designers do we just don't yeah. label it as such. It's a systematic process that we go through and I'm giving you that to say this is how you're gonna go through it. These are the questions you need to ask. This is what we're gonna work through. And all of that information informs the design that you're creating.
0: Yeah, because somebody wants a sunroom and they don't, you know, they want to put something in their attic or they want to add it to a porch. Or if in my case, you know, I would like to take my bedroom studio, mm-hmm. either put it in the basement or- or add a room on the attic to have it in the attic. But then like I started thinking about what well, could, I really lift all this like sound boards and stuff into the attic. Would it be easier to go through the bulkhead in the basement and put it in the basement, just yeah. physically the weight of trying to put that stuff in, you start thinking like, well, yeah, it would look cool in the attic, but could you actually get things up to the attic in in a reasonable way? So it seems like it's actually more doable in the basement.
1: Yes. Yeah. And feasibility is a big one. It's part of what I used to do in my career was feasibility of projects where it was like, Hey, we're looking at this new site. Is this a tangible option that we're looking at? And of course those were commercial spaces. So their metrics are very different in terms of what feasibility looked like, but it's the same concept. And um, I think where a lot of people get stuck on, which is where a lot of projects fail is not understanding that in any project that you take on, especially the ones that you've been describing like bathrooms of big, saunas and, you know, steam rooms and soundproof attic spaces is that there's a level of skin in the game, which are called your hard costs, that happens in a project before you even get to the point that you are going to hit go. And that's where you are talking to consultants, you're talking to experts, you're talking to contractors, it's most of them, especially if there's a large of upfront pre-design phase that's coming about where they're looking at if it's even tangible, there's a fee associated with that. And then they're going to look at all of the different variables and structural load and all these different assets for what you might be looking at and say, okay, if you want to do this, this is everything that needs to get done. And then you can look at it and go, this project is way bigger than I thought it was going to be. And it's not really feasible. We're going to go in a different direction, but you still have costs associated with that exploration phase. Yeah. And if you don't go through that process either by yourself or with consultants and with experts, you're going to end up in a situation too far gone down the road where you thought it was something simple when really it wasn't.
0: Well it seems like you got to invest in a good plan and a good strategy to know what's possible with your budget. Oh definitely. Yeah. But I come and said, well, I want to have an elevator that can bring (laughs) Like a, a residential elevator, they could bring, like, you know, like like Marshall amps to upstairs so I don't have to bring them up the stairs. I actually want it to be built that way so I could do that. Yeah. So I, I could bring them up and then I, if I have to go show a show, I can bring them down into the garage and I don't have to bring them down the stairs. So that's something I really want to see. Is that possible? I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, in magazines that there's residential elevators. Could I actually put that well, in my structure? And use that because I have a reason why I want yeah. to have those amps in my studio and I want to be able to take them on the road when I go to New York. So I want to be able to move them around.
1: Yes. And I mean, and anything like that where you're touching a massive mound structure, I, I wouldn't advise doing it on yourself. I would say talk to an expert, yeah, <laughs> talk yeah. to an engineer, talk to an architect because they need to figure out load calculations. And yeah. I mean, another thing that a lot of people don't consider and depends where you live in terms of rurality, like if you live in a very rural area or more of a city, how strict those uh, building codes are and municipal guidelines are, is that a lot of people have (sighs) misconceptions of what is required for building permits. So there's this idea, it's like, I own my home, I can do whatever Mm. it is, I want for it. And the the fact of it is, is that that's not (laughs) true. (laughs) It's not, you know, I mean, you could, but you're going to get slapped with a massive fine. Or if you try to sell your house with work that was done illegally, it is very difficult and actually mostly impossible and can mean that you have to take it down in order to sell your property. So there's all these different factions to it. But in most cases, anything that is touching your structural load and is touching how your house works from a co-compliance and life safety So like, are you touching anything that's load bearing? Are you adding anything that could cause harm to someone or changing how it works? That requires a building permit. And anytime you get into any portion that requires a building permit, you need professionals. You either need a draft person, you need an architect, or you need an interior designer, or you need someone who is going to be creating those drawings for you that you are an engineer that can submit to get you approval for your building permit. It's not something that you can do on your own.
0: Yeah, it's like when I got Tesla to put the solar panels on the house and they had they had to get permits to do all that stuff.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: like It was touching the roof, it's touching the all the all the electricity. It added boxes to the house. Mm-hmm. Added like all these things that have to get permitted. Just like if you put a gas furnace in, you gotta get a permit. Well, like, yeah, and they also
1: have to think the loads of them on the roof, right? Like can yeah, They had to check work. them.
0: Yeah. I mean, luckily yeah. they, they that's like a third-party company, they do all the calcs. They check it. They run a, like they on a satellite picture of the house to see where wow. the sun hits. They went and checked the structure mm-hmm. to see what could, so they had to do internally and in, within the roof structure to be able to put it on. You know, luckily it was a brand new house, so it was kind of set to be able to, it was more modern. So it, you know, it was built in like 2008 versus something that's older that wasn't even thinking of that could ever happen. So it was not nope. rather, rele- you know, some older houses are harder to retrofit. But Oh, definitely. I live yeah, in one. I have a
1: 1986 house. It's a wonder, but also a horror sometimes when you think of can I make this change without large impact?
0: Yeah, you got to do all this extra work to try to make it, you know, to make it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a, it, when you run into a situation where somebody has a plan to renovate a house, and it's so significant that you would say, well, you know, this you might be better suited to actually getting a, doing a whole new house.
1: It depends. And in certain situations, I mean, I have a project that I'm working on with clients and from the Gingy design group side in Calgary, which is in Alberta and Canada. And they fell in love with the property. They fell in love with a portion of the structure of the house, uh, but they pretty much tore down the entire upper level and have gutted out the entire space and are redesigning everything and reconfiguring pretty much the entire house to the new design plans. In that situation, would it have potentially have been more cost effective to have torn it down? Potentially, but there's factors that need to be considered when you look at that because sometimes what happens with properties on existing um, property lines or uh, lots is that they're mm-hmm. grandfathered in terms of their property easements and where they're placed. So as well, soon so as kind
0: of you to that structure. Exactly. That that structure in
1: terms of where it sits, how big it is, um, its exact placement is grandfathered. And as soon as you, if you tore down the entire mass, you would be stuck with the new jurisdictions in terms of how big that volume and that structure can Uh be. So there's, there's different things that need to be considered. And that's where you really need someone who can go into your local municipality and read what their bylaws and their requirements are and what that new kind of code zoning is. Because that can impact your decision whether or not it's more economical and cost effective to tear the entire house down, or if it makes more sense to keep a portion of the footprint and then build on top of it. Because those are two different situations from a city's perspective in terms of what you can do with a piece of land.
0: Also, like like thinking about like I do this podcast, you know, virtually. But mm-hmm. If I invested in trying to you know making like a studio in my basement that had like a whole room in in like a, like an actual, you know, studio set up. So the, it's isolated. So I had like a, a, a voice room. The question is like, I you know, based on the kids, a residential area, but it became more of a business. i probably can't do it and, and invite guests to actually come in there and run like a business. I might be better suited to actually find a place that's zoned and build a studio in a zoned area where it could be.
1: Yes. And that's where you really do need to check your zoning bylaws in terms of your residential neighborhoods. Some places allow businesses, some places don't, some places allow businesses of different types to work from home. Um, if you if it's you working from home, like for instance, I work in my own house. This is my design studio. Um, but it's pretty much me that I have contract workers that work virtually. I very rare, I don't have people that come into my office and I don't execute work with multiple people in my office sometimes i'll have um clients come in and we'll do a little chat or like suppliers but it's not like i'm running a business out of my home with multiple people coming in if that was the case it would not be allowed but me as myself in my own personal business that's fine it all comes down to your personal zoning and that's another thing that you would need to check with your local municipalities Again, yeah, planning, that's that's me. Yeah. planning. <laughs> yeah, like
0: virtually, you know, we can do this. And I've been doing it since 2016, but the dream is to eventually have it. So it actually is like a, a real studio. Like, yes. so then I've always thought i I build like a second house, that's actually zoned to be a studio.
1: It's kind of like, and you if you don't watch, know, like, you could probably do like a laneway or something like that as a separate, like off building separate from your house. You'd have to, you'd have to check it, but that's an option.
0: Yeah, yeah. If it's zoned for for commercial, but you mm-hmm. might want to have a separate place because you don't want people that close to your own personal space. Like if you're somebody that's doing a podcast, do you really want people to know exactly where your house is?
1: Right. Well, these so, are the
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, so if you're into entertainment, like you might not necessarily want everybody knowing that that's your house. Well, right? So,
1: right.
0: Yeah, so you might want to build it somewhere else. So they like. I'm a musician too. So so like I want to build a studio. It's not only for podcast but maybe a rock band wants to come and record so yeah that, and then
1: you want a bunch of rock bands in your backyard <laughs> yeah you
0: don't know so you kind of put it somewhere that's zoned for that and it's like that's not my personal space that's my business of doing a studio so that's where mm-hmm. that kind of comes in where yeah you, you might have like a band in there you know and you, and you might even build a thing so it's kind of like 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 a small studio so you have a small studio audience and then televise. It. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can send it around. So then you want to build something that's kind of like, you know, I, I guess the guy from Hall and Oates, he built something like that. He built like a studio. We have bands came in and they actually was a small studio audience. And he even had like a little bar They ended up building out. And he runs it like he's like, you know, his his own little, you know, studio that he runs a TV show out of. Oh, that's
1: pretty um, cool
0: so you know he's in hall and oats and he actually built that and it's like that's we end up having all these famous bands around the world come and do these like private shows at his own like house mm-hmm. they basically called it his house but it's actually a separate studio from his house so yeah this seems like yeah i mean in the art world there's all kinds of things that people would want maybe built in their own space but they got to figure out can i actually have that where where i am living or i have to build it somewhere else
1: yes and i mean that that's really where the planning process comes in and that whole strategy thought process and it really depends upon the project if you're not if you're not looking at something as as in-depth as building your own studio but you're looking at possibly a kitchen renovation for instance or a kitchen expansion there's still a lot of planning that goes into it um i have someone that I'm, i'm helping on a consultant basis at this point just hourly and it's been a long process to facilitate this kitchen because a lot of the questions that should have been answered upfront and gone through at the beginning in terms of what they were wanting to do, what their priorities were, how do they need the space to work for them weren't answered. It was a let's get cabinets, let's move forward and let's do this whole process. And then every project that you're working on, there are nuances and relationships that go together. And a lot of the time what is misunderstood and is missed on projects is the relationships between decisions. So that's where the strategy and that planning comes in. Using in a kitchen example, for instance, your cabinets cannot be cemented and be landed on and put into building and fabrication until you have all of your appliances and your plumbing specifications figured out because your cabinets are built to suit those constraints. So you could be working with a kitchen fabricator for your cabinetry, but if you haven't picked all of your your appliances, and you haven't picked the sink, you haven't picked any of these different items, they can't finalize the design. So they'll You're give you the thought process <laughs> of this is what your kitchen's gonna look like. And then three months later, you come back with your specifications. What if your fridge can't fit where you wanted it to, and you've already purchased this fridge now? Well, now they have to give you a different design iteration based upon the new specs that they have. So then it reworks this whole design thought process of how this is going to work, where if you know, what it is that you need to have coming into that planning process at the beginning, an idea of what your appliances are. What are you thinking for your sinks, your faucets, your hardware, the internal components that you want in a kitchen, like pull out garbage cans and recycling, a built-in paper towel holder, these different items that you're wanting from an organization and internal system, you can have those conversations up front and be ready to move forward. So then your lead times in terms of from your cabinets being made to your purchase of your appliances and everything else happens much more systematically. So you're yeah. never in a process where you're like waiting six months for a fridge to arrive when everything else has been finished.
0: Well, it seems like if you wanted to do like a professional kitchen, you know, and it's kind of more because you're you're a chef and you want to make it kind of like what your job is. But yes. you want it to be like your home. So maybe you have a center aisle that has like a ducting system. Well, that probably doesn't exist in your house, it doesn't have the wiring, the support or the plumbing, the support mm-hmm. that being in the center, because usually it's against the window and the wall, right? So th- then you would have to know what all those high end, you know, mm-hmm. stove, you know, the, the refrigerator might be a bigger refrigerator than what is normal. You might be like, you know, the, the washers and everything might be more industrial level quality because you're trying to cook, you know, because you're cooking <laughs> at home. You want to, you want to, you want to really do it like you That's do it at work.
1: Great appliances in there. Yeah. Which are at low capacities, right? So can your house
0: support it? Yeah. You can you support the, you know, the electricity? Like the thing about a studio, can you support the electrical load of a real mixing board? Yeah. Of, of, of a real board and the big amps? You know, can you actually support that that power drain on your house with all the other things running in your house? Or do you need to, you know, actually beef up your electrical system to support what you're trying to do? Mm -hmm. I ran into
1: that problem in my house when I was looking at doing a kitchen renovation. And all I was adding was some outlets and some pot lights. But my house is from 86 and Mm -hmm. its panel is pretty much completely tapped out. And I was like, if you want to do this with all of the different loads from your specifications and your additional wiring, you're going to have to put in a subpanel. Okay, now I have to factor that in, right? So it's like, these are the things that you need to understand and that come through that whole planning process and those discussions that you're having. And to be clear, the planning process is not you sitting by yourself trying to figure out all of these things that you might not Mm -hmm. be aware of because it's not your field of expertise. It's understanding who you need to be having the conversations with and bringing into that project to ask you and go, okay, well, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? What's going on over here that then spur that thought process and become a part of that decision making process that informs the design? So that's where we get a lot of pushback sometimes in the industry where people think it's a kitchen. Can't you design that in two months? in theory but there's also a lot of planning that goes into it and a lot of different back and forth massaging that a design timeline for any project is not as simple as like two three weeks because there's all of that actual planning and those conversations that take place
0: yeah like management by date is hard like when we have unknown variables like in in software design if we're building something that we never built before we don't have a good benchmark of what it takes, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to go and like, say your your structure, your infrastructure, you gotta go and build whole new tables to support what you're doing. Well, they didn't exist. So they didn't exist, that's time you have to do to build that kind of structure. It's like putting the wires in, putting the pipes in. So if you need five more pipes and you don't have them, then yeah. you gotta put that in, right? You gotta put that box in because you don't have it. And so then that doesn't, it's like, oh, you could want it done in two weeks, but does it take two weeks to clear that with mm-hmm. getting the license and getting an electrician? Are they available? Is the are the are the components available? Because oh, nowadays yeah. <laughs> with, like you could have oh, I want it done in two months, but what you want is is in short supply and there's a there's a backlog, you might not get it for months or, not, or a year. Um yeah. so you have to kind of have somebody like yourself. I think you you people you you know how to ask the question. So somebody has an idea and you start to make them think in a more like project oriented way so they can start to see like, oh, the stuff I want, like the timelines are going to mean I couldn't get this done for three years. So maybe I've got to compromise and, and go with something else.
1: So this is how I kind of view timelines. Either way, in any project you look at, and I don't know if you've experienced this in software design as well. The timeline is always going to be X amount of months. So let's say you wanted a kitchen done in six months and you're like, I'm going to do this kitchen. It's going to be six months. And you just demo right away and you're designing and you're building it as it goes. But as you're working through it, you get all these hiccups and you have to press pause constantly because you don't know what's going on over here. You've got delays happening with your appliances. You haven't ordered this. You haven't ordered that. And actually from the time that you started the project to when you end up with the finished project is a year and nine months later, that time frame was probably always going to be a year and nine months. But the way that you started the project where you just hit, go right away off of a thought and started demolishing, you were living in a horrible situation of a half unusable kitchen or like cooking off of a campfire stove for a year and nine months versus upfront planning and figuring out all of those different components and everything that had to be ordered, everything that had to be figured out, knowing when everything is coming together, looking at that time frame and going, okay, based upon this, this is when I'm gonna demo my kitchen and then everything will roll together systematically. And then I won't yeah, have a year and my months where I don't have a kitchen. The timeframe was always gonna be the timeframe, but you started and yeah. you jumped the gun too early
0: it's like phasing it like when you build a bridge do you tear down the bridge that, that you're replacing <laughs> or do you kind of keep it keep it there as you know maybe you bring it down to a couple lanes but it's still there so exactly phase that. It so that there's still like this redundancy where there's something there maybe not exactly what you want but you can still do it versus like you went and did it got rid of everything and you, you can't phase it so you yeah, can't so- phase something like 1.1 1. 1, 1. 1.2 1. 1.3 and then you do the big, you wait to the last minute to the, you know, the last phase of it. So there will be a shorter time when you don't have access to something.
1: Exactly. And and when you, when you upfront and you forecast it, it reduces a lot of that stress. Cause if you're in a situation where you're living without a fully functional kitchen or like cooking off of a stamp camp stove in the winter, that is a horrible stress and a horrible overwhelm. And you're right. freaking out and you're going, when is my stuff arriving? What's going on? And you're getting stressed out and agitated because it's not working how you need it to. And that is a heavy load that you're wearing. So then this is where like, yes, it's not sexy and it's not fun. It's not as fun as creating the design and picking the finishes and creating this beautiful image of what your kitchen's going to look like. But the planning that you do beforehand and that future forecasting, so you can understand when everything's going to become available and how you need to phase that process. That's what's actually going to ensure a project success. And that's what's going to mean that when you hit go maybe you're only down a kitchen for six weeks because you can do a kitchen from like full demo to build out in six to eight weeks but everything has to be lined up yeah you might go.
0: need to know what, what appliances you're going to get and if they're available yes everything you want you can get within that time frame then yeah you're going to be cool but it's like suddenly like i'm going to build a studio and i want a need board and it costs like $20,000 and there's only five of them built a year and they're all sold out. Yeah. So, then so then you're I go waiting. start yeah. the studio and I'm like, well, I can't even put the board in because they're all sold out and I can't get one until 2024 or 25. So how, how am I going to build it? Why would I build it? Because I can't even get it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yep. You know? And I, I worked on a couple projects last year, which were commercial that were building like quick service restaurants. We had a lot of delays in our RTU units last year where we kept on getting promised different dates energy user your um rooftop unit so your big massive mm. back systems in commercial spaces so we had massive delays where we were told oh it'll be 20 weeks and then a couple of weeks later actually it's sitting at like 28 30 weeks so the time frame kept getting pushed out and we'd already hit go on these projects so we ended mm. up in a whole bunch of situations where we had to come up with these secondary pivoting options with like backup generators and different types of like secondary HVAC systems that were brought in from an air cooling perspective in order to wait for these RTUs to come in. Not -hmm. a great option, but we'd Mm -hmm. already hit go based on this other information we were given that later on proved not to be correct. And that does happen in construction. I'm not going here and saying that if you plan, everything will work out exactly how you want. It doesn't, but it usually gives you enough information to be able to make the, like, more easily make the right decisions or more effective decisions when you are in a stressed out situation because you've kind of already figured it out.
0: Yeah. I mean, because that's what my daughter's been real interested in because she's into horticulture and she does a lot of um, hydroponic gardening. You know, so, mm. right, so far she's done these hydroponic gardens in the kitchen and she found mechanisms that work, And then she got so good at it now she said well we should put take the deck and repurpose the deck and actually turn it into like a garden room and we actually in our housing development they actually have have this thing where you can have your deck turned into an extension of your house and yes. within our housing development there's an approved design for that mm-hmm. so so we know that you could do it because we've seen people put them on and there's an approved design um so it's like okay we could do that but we have some alterations to that design because it's actually for a indoor garden so we mm-hmm. might want different windows or a different type of roof so there's an idea you can have it but it might be altered so in order to support a garden because most people aren't using it for that
1: yeah, so not.
0: <laughs> yeah so then it's like we have a very strong idea about what we want to do and but we have to find the right people to actually you know give us the roadmap we know what has been done and we could do something kind of try to force our idea to fit mm-hmm. but we kind of want it to work the way we want it to work so then it is more customized that's where yeah. i think you you, you you that is that what they kind of push and pull when you're showing somebody what there's like a, a thing you could do that maybe is cheaper but it doesn't really fit and the question is is it 80 percent fit is it 70 percent fit is it 50 percent, or is it like is it 90
1: <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like in you in that in your situation, you have of the design that's already been pre created. So at least you've got something that you're working with, that then you can massage to be more specific to your needs. Um, a lot of the time ends up happening. And I've seen this with clients that I'm brought in in the last minute to try to help save projects is They literally just started with a compilation of images and gave Mm -hmm. it to the contractor that they hired went their trades and said, make this happen. And they didn't have, they hadn't sourced anything. They hadn't really figured out what they wanted. They didn't really know what their priority list was in their bathroom or their kitchen or whatever room it was. So all of these things started happening in the project and the cost just kept rising because they hadn't really figured out what they wanted in a project. And then it also ends up in a lot of disputes with the contractors because mm-hmm. they're going, well, I, I installed the tile the way you wanted," And you're going, well, you didn't ask me, you didn't do this. Well, did you have those conversations with the contractor? Because someone's assumption off of an image is going to be very different than your assumption off of an image. So oh, yeah. there's providing images to contractors and this idea that it is a roadmap. It's not enough. It is part of, of a package that you create. Um, and it is part of a system, but it is not enough to stand on its own. And when we you think
0: so you need a like a real like blueprint or, or a more technical thing, like in our world, like we, we build code, but we have code tech designs. Mm-hmm. So you could have an idea. That's like a use case, like the business case. Or, you know, has actors as this, you know, visual. And it's like, you know, it, it's very simple, but that's not what it's going to actually have to be because you get down to all the details. It's like, hey, what's the UI going to be? You know, mm-hmm. what's, what, 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 those are details that the are hey, the top level person. I don't care about that, but then they do because when they get it, they say, well, it doesn't do what I want, but you didn't tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, because like yep. you didn't tell me that the CRM person needs this drop down with these radio buttons. You just said you wanted a CRM, right? But you gotta tell me what you, the use cases you want for the CRM. So it's yeah. like the same type of thing. You're like you need to tell me. And sometimes what they do is that the unhappy path, like the ten percent scenario, the ten percent thing. That takes all the work. The ninety percent, my god, but it's like this thing that they didn't tell me about. That, that that's their thing. That's like the 10% scenario, but that's like the hardest one. It doesn't fake, take the normal path. It's like that's all the work that takes up all the budget takes up all the time, because they didn't tell you exactly what that was. They assumed oh. that, you, that, that you kind of knew it, but you they never actually voiced it.
1: <laughs> what is that saying? Assuming makes an ass out of you and me, and I, I really, I really, really feel that that is, is a case in construction, especially just with the rise of people hiring contractors directly and being like, hey, just do this or having conversations with them. So another piece that needs to be understood with um, hiring any contractor and, and these design packages that are just images, is it's not enough for contractors to price on. So you can give them a bucket full of images and say, this is what I want my bathroom to look like. And they're gonna go look at it and go, okay, so based upon these images, We're doing some tile. We're doing a new countertop. We're doing a new vanity. We're doing a new mirror. Okay. I kind of get the gist of what it is that they want in this bathroom. You haven't picked everything though. You haven't gone and picked those tiles. You haven't picked the countertop. You haven't picked the vanity. You haven't picked anything and they're going to give you a price. And sometimes they break out their price. Most of the time they don't, they just give you a cost and they say, Hey, this is what this cost is. That cost, 99% of the time, if you have not given them any specs that you have sourced specifically and said, This is what I want, is based off of the common mean value of materials in construction. So, if the Mm. average of a tile that's a wall tile is a dollar and 15 cents a square foot, and they're looking at it and assuming that you only want wall tile in the shower, they're going to take those measurements. They're going to base it off a dollar and 15 a square foot. And that's the cost that they're giving you that they're including in their quote. And then as you move through this process with them, you go and you pick everything and guess what you fall in love with the tile. It's not a dollar and 15 a square foot. You yeah. fall in love with a pile later on down the road. That's $4 a square foot. And not yeah. only do you not only want it in the shower, you want it on all the walls. Now you've increased your linear feet as well as you, as well as increased the cost of the tile, your budget is gonna be way over from what it is that they've charged or what they've quoted you. And all of a sudden you're going, why is my contractor charging me this extra? Because you didn't actually give them anything to price off of. You gave them images and it was based off of assumptions. So this is where like a vision is not enough for a project. You need to have the strategy and the tactics and the mechanisms in place to give an actual package to your trades and your contractors for pricing and execution it'll save you a world of headache down the long run
0: so is it always better to have like very defined like supplies or or, or items like you know like I said like I, I know I want a need board I know I need it has these power requirements I know my current power requirements are this so I assume my electrician's gonna have to do work there I know mm-hmm. what this cost I know what the weight of it is you give them the weight you tell them as like can this floor take that you know you start to do the numbers. You actually have real things. You have, to, then oh, wow. you have a real thing that weighs this much, has this kind of power consumption, my current thing. So the more defined information you have in terms yes. of what materials are, what the cost are, what the limitations are, with things that you need venting, you need cooling, you need this, you need that. You start to have more defined things rather than just the pictures even with the more defined, you still could have some cost overruns, right? Or you'd be less likely to, right?
1: You're less likely to, the more specific you can nail down exactly what it is that you want and and you've picked everything. So you've picked the floor tile, you've picked the wall tile, you've picked your bathtub, your shower components, the whole kit and caboodle. And you've said, this is everything that I want and I'm gonna be purchasing these items, but I need you to select and to purchase these items then you both of you are on the same page and then you know exactly from what he's quoting you and the conversations you've had that everything should in theory be checked off. Will there be be additional costs as the project moves forward? Most of the time, especially if you're doing a remodel in an existing space, because there's always going to be things that come up once you start opening up walls that could never have been factored into, but that's where the contingency fund comes in. That should be a buffer in your budget. So that's another side conversation is that a quote that a contractor gives you is not a budget. It's not your budget. It's a quote. There's a whole other things that you need to be adding to that number to be your budget. And I have an entire YouTube video on that. So go and watch that because there's seven things that you need to include in the budget so that it's, it's robust and it includes everything. But here's the. okay. so if you don't want to put in the legwork up front, and it's like I said, a timeline is typically a timeline. So it's either you put the legwork up up front or you put the legwork throughout and the project takes slightly longer. You The difference will be in how your project is priced and the contract type that you move forward with. So the more information that you can provide a contractor in trades, the more accurate your pricing will be. So your contingency can come down and you can proceed with a lump sum contract, which means that they know exactly what it is that you want from them. You guys have talked you're on the exact same page and you're getting a card quoted cost of this for all of this that we've talked about. This is how much it's going to cost. Very much more easy to budget for, much more easy to track because you know exactly what's being accounted for and what's not. If you don't put the legwork in and you have things that you haven't sourced and you're going to do that as the project moves forward, your contract type that you move forward with your contractor for pricing cannot be lump sum because they don't know what they're pricing for. So that's when you would do like a cost plus, which is where you pay them for materials plus a percentage. You can do time and materials, which I really don't advise on um, because it'll just keep going up. There's are the GDP. There's all of these different pricing models available, but every single one has its pros and its cons, and they're good for different um, types of projects, depending upon how much legwork you want to put into the beginning.
0: The question I have, like, if you're doing like a bathroom, right, and you you want to put it like a Japanese toilet that has like electric power, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I love the They they did toilets from like Toto. They have like fans in them and they're heated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't have the support for that. It doesn't have an outlet near the toilet at all. It mm-hmm. doesn't have any. So you, you got to have an electrician plus yep. the plumber, plus somebody that can do the carpentry. So you like, is like when you do that type of work, do you, is it better to get one contractor that's certified in all those things or get people who are more like the electrician is a certified electrician, the plumbers, Is it better Mm -hmm. to get independent, yeah, contractors that are best at their particular capability?
1: So again, it depends upon the specifics. If you're just putting in a Japanese toilet, I would probably say piecemeal it yourself. If you're doing a full bathroom gut job and a full bathroom renovation, um, it would probably be more advisable to hire a contractor rather than piecemealing together. And the reason is, is two things. One, a contractor will charge you a percentage on their quotes, because that's their admin and their administration. So say an electrician charges them $5,000 and they put that in their quote, they're probably gonna charge a 10% upcharge. So they're gonna quote you 5,500 as what the electrician is. And that's their profit towards managing the trades. But when you hire a general contractor for larger projects, They are there to manage those trades for you. So they're there to sit there and to manage the project as a whole um, from a construction side, not from a full project management, but to say, okay, this is what's going on. Their future looking at what's happening in the next one to two weeks going, okay, I need my drywaller here on this day. I need my electrician to follow and all these different things. They're managing those variables, ensuring that there isn't a lot of lag between when one person shows up to when another person is needed. And then, So that's why I would recommend it on a big project. If you don't want to go this course because you don't want to pay the administrative costs from a general contractor managing subtrades, then that means that you are the construction manager as well as the project manager. Mm-hmm. So you are needing to look at the project, review it every single day to what has been done, what hasn't been done, have all those conversations with the subtrades, in terms of how long they need on things when are they gonna get stuff done? What are they waiting on? And then managing that schedule and that timeline and then scheduling people based upon that. And if anything goes awry, where say something is missed and they can't proceed and they can't come back for two weeks, you're then having to navigate that all on your own. And a lot of times it's more difficult than just having someone be able to do it for you.
0: Yeah, it seems like if you had like like, a, like the overarching project being done by a contractor, because if you'd like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to Angie List, or I'm going to mm-hmm. go to some website and find this plumber, and then you keep on, and he happens to be an electrician, and say, well, he can do everything. When mm-hmm. maybe you should have gone to something that was a little bit more Uh, than than professional that had like that kind of project experience like maybe you should have done some research into figuring out does this need to go to a general contractor that is known for doing this type of work
1: yes or because
0: you're trying to cut the cost you just go on the net on your phone so i'm just going to go and get this person i think they can do it (laughs)
1: oh yeah and I mean, and that comes down to interviewing. You should always, always, always be interviewing multiple trades if you're going to go the trade route or multiple contractors before you hire. And I do have a blog post on GabriellaMilgram.co under the blog section uh, that goes through the nine critical questions you should be asking a trade or a general contractor before hiring. Um, it goes into depth into all of them because what really needs to be understood when you are hiring someone to work on your projects is that level of relationship, that level of communication, how long are they going to be on your project? So, If you've got a construction manager, or a site supervisor, what is their percentage on their project? Because if it's a small little bathroom, they're not there a hundred percent of the time. And that's what leads to a lot of anger and confusion and miscommunication as well as like judgment between the contractors and the, the clients of going, he didn't show up today. Nothing's been done. Just because your site super wasn't on site doesn't mean that other things weren't done. He's coordinating the back end. Mm-hmm. He's not 100% dedicated mm-hmm. to your project because your project is small. If you're just doing the bathroom, he's not gonna be there 100% of the time. If you're doing a massive house new build or massive like extension to your home, he probably would be there 100% of the time. But for smaller projects, they're not. So you need to have those conversations and understand who that person is. What percentage are they dedicated to? What is their experience level? Have they done projects of similar size and scope and budget? What is their experience with these things? Get references and talk Mm -hmm. to those people and and ask them all these questions, because you need to interview them before you make the decision. Especially if you are doing a large project, it is a long term relationship. That person is going to be with you for a while. You want to make sure that you're hiring the right person. Yeah, kind to-
0: of. You're you're adding like a, a room over your garage, or you're doing a full finished basement that has a lot of infrastructure changes. They're adding you know, like to your HVAC and adding the plumbing and putting bathrooms. And it's a big project, so it's not yeah. some simple thing like a bathroom. And even your kitchen could be big if, like, you actually expand your house.
1: Yes. Kitchens are a lot more complicated than people think they are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If you expand your house or you get, you know, knock a room out to make it bigger or knock a bathroom out to do this and do that, then, then you going to go a little bit bigger than what you thought. It's not Mm -hmm. just putting the refrigerator in and putting the stove in. It's something more than that.
1: Exactly. And I mean, I, I can't tell you when you say I'm going to hire trades versus hiring a contractor. It's, I mean, I could technically, I'd say big projects always go with hiring a construction team. Don't piecemeal it together yourself. Unless you are someone who is retired, doesn't work, used to work in this industry, and is totally okay being the person who is managing all the multiple different pieces. Cool. Knock your socks off. But I'll if you're someone in who doesn't have experience and works full time, don't do it. You will yeah. give yourself a heart attack. It's not worth it. Just hire someone to do that for you. Um, but if it's a smaller project and it's like replacing some electrical, adding some additional things in, switching out a toilet for a Japanese one that, you know, the lid lifts up and it talks to you when you walk in the bathroom, you could piecemeal that together with individual yeah. grades.
0: Yeah, that one you could probably get somebody from one of those website, you know, the phone apps for something yeah. like that. But like, once you start getting into the bigger things, like, like your water pressure, steam shower, or you kind of put it, you want to get a sauna.
1: Well, you as a person wouldn't even know what to ask. Like, how do you even manage that? You don't know what you're looking for.
0: Yeah. I don't know. like, do I have the right right pressure to run this thing? Do I have to like, do I have to beef up my electric to be able to run Mm -hmm. this thing, to be able to, you know, give it, have enough hot water, enough pressure to run it you know, can can they take the weight of it, you know, with all that, you know, the current tub was never going to be as big as this one. Well, yeah. Can the load
1: be supported with the floor underneath? Yeah.
0: The floor that you got, because like that bathroom wasn't really designed to have that. So then Mm -hmm. you have to, where you try to force something in without having somebody that knows what they're doing. And so that's where you kind of like kind of defer to like, I don't know everything. And then maybe not try to force things just because you want it, but like, try to do a little bit of research to actually know what is actually possible.
1: And I mean, to to clarify, in the world of construction is possible. It's how much do you want to pay for it? And how long do you (laughs) want the project to take? Because those are, those are two very competing questions. If you want it right now, and you don't wanna pay the money to get it right now, then you're you're gonna get a crappy quality. So you're not gonna be getting the best output where if you are like, I will pay whatever it takes to be able to make this grand vision come to life, then yes, you have more opportunities available for you and you could completely reinforce that entire structure and the floor and whatever needs to get done to make this beautiful steam bathroom, spa-like creation come to life, but you need to know what's needed. And then also understand that if your existing structure can't support that, it's going to cost more and it's going to take longer.
0: Yeah. Just because you want it doesn't mean that you can make it. Other than, uh, you like you said, you could have something that's half hazard, not even anywhere, knows cause mm-hmm. damage and not even be what you want it to be. You got to be okay. realistic with your Yeah. okay, you want it, then pay for it.
1: (laughs) Which I know is a really like hard, like horrible or harsh way of saying it. But I mean, it's true. Like in every project, it's a triangle. You've got time, you've got money and you've got your scope and then you've got quality in the inside. So it's like, it's supposed to be equilateral, but a lot of the time what ends up happening is it kind of gets smushed. And then we're like, oh, we can still get exactly everything that we want. We've increased the scope, but we're not going to increase the time or the budget. Well, then you know what happens? Your quality gets squished. So it's always a give and take. It's just people don't really want to, to go through those nuances and understand that it, it is a give and take and that is a process that happens in construction. I will also say that on bigger projects, that's not just replacing the toilet, for instance, one other really big benefit to having a construction manager and a project manager on your project that is experienced in the realm of construction is they know what inspections are needed. Mm. There are a lot of dodgy trades and a lot of dodgy contractors out there that may not get the inspections and the building permit sign offs that are required at the different phases of a project. And if you don't know what those are, you can run into a situation from a liability as well as an insurance perspective where mm. your renovation, your project does not meet those checkoff and those co-compliance requirements. And they can push back and require you to open everything up and redo it. So that's one where you to hire the right team.
0: Plus, <laughs> your insurance company or your homeowners might not pay if you didn't get inspected, signed exactly. off to work right. Is that would the risk that you're doing if in order to get the get it done cheaply and mm-hmm. maybe not done right is that your something goes wrong and then your insurance company says, "Well, was that actually qualified?" inspected work where yeah. they not you and might, then they'll for the
1: papers and you don't have them and then they won't insure it
0: and sometimes you have, people don't even tell their insurance company that they actually did something right so oh. you have an insurance policy and you go add something to your house but you never told your agent your current coverage might not cover that right <laughs>
1: there are so there's a lot i'm not an insurance expert but there's a lot of nuances to insurance that homeowners doing any form of renovation do not understand. Um, One of the biggest ones, aside from actually informing them that you've done something, is to inform them that you are doing it because there is actual construction insurance that needs to be put on your property for the duration of that renovation timeframe because your standard insurance does not cover you. If something happens on your property in a construction time, like in a construction. Oh, that's mindset. Very important. That's so if someone gets injured or your water main breaks and it was related to a construction related incident, it is not covered under your standard insurance. And if you didn't get construction insurance, you're hooped. Yeah, so, that's that's
0: <laughs> a real point. That's a good point because a lot of people that maybe use the app based contractor. Don't don't yep. consider that. And didn't yeah. probably call their agent, didn't understand the consequences of what they're doing. And so, yeah, I think that's a really core thing that you just mentioned there. Cause I think a lot of people, like you know, I'm I happen to work in insurance IT, I'm not mm-hmm. an agent, but I mean, I work in with insurance companies, and I know the reason I asked that is because I know what insurance companies do. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they don't want to pay the claim. They no, the exactly. said to not pay it because you didn't do ABC and like you put yourself in a situation where you didn't do abc and now they're like oh i'm not paying
1: oh <laughs> well, exactly and i mean it's not worth it and when in doubt, just call them i have a lot of projects where i'm working on it and i'm like i don't know is this going to trigger a building permit i don't think it is based upon my expertise but i'm just going to call so i'll call the municipality i'll say this is what i'm doing do i need a building permit and they go no 90 percent mm-hmm. of the time so then I know I've checked off that box. I'm not going to run into a situation. Same thing with insurance. If I'm ever in doubt on a project and the specifics, I will just call and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what's happening. Do I need insurance? What type and for how much coverage? Because mm-hmm. you never want to end up in a situation where something happens and you thought you recovered, but you're not. And now you're on the hook.
0: Oh, yeah. Or right. worse,
1: you didn't even ask your contractor to get that insurance, because that also happens. And then yeah. they don't have the insurance that they need. And then you as the homeowner are now on the hook.
0: It's not just being bonded. you want them to be insured and bonded?
1: Right? Yes. Their liability, their insurance that they need. And the quantity of that is going to based upon the actual um, construction cost budget. Cause it, it varies based upon a percentage. I also based upon your, your project type. Uh, if, you're doing a massive new build or remodel and you've got like construction grade equipment on your property. There's different um, insurance that's related to covering those assets that you need a contractor to have on top of the whole environmental ones. There's work safe and stuff for their employees. There's liability, there's bondage. There's all of these different types of insurance that you need to ask in that interview process. And that needs to be in the contract that you are stating that they need to have, and you need to be noted as a secondary on that insurance. Mm.
0: Well, I think this has been very, <laughs> very, 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 informative. <laughs>
1: no, no,
0: this this whole thing has been very, very informative. And I think it's a lot of people, you know, that I talked to on the show do have their own home businesses, they are entrepreneurs. You know, in, in the podcast, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, and I think the things that we've talked about apply to people in many different types of businesses, mm-hmm. but because people are, you know, and they might be doing, they might have a business, but they, they're they taking that money from the business and they want to make, make changes to their house. They want to do something. They want to have that dream house. Yeah. so this conversation was really useful and I hope people go to your Gabrielle co website that is clickable when we are fully published you can go to the home home to home challenge and to your main site uh, directly from the link on Facebook once we're fully published in a couple of seconds. but what? thank you for being on on the, on the podcast tonight. I think what you've said uh, regarding uh, you know making uh, the right kind of design choices for your dreams is really cool it, I think okay. it's very helpful. I think a lot of people will find this um, useful and informative.
1: I really hope they do. And I had such an amazing time. And if any of this intrigued you and you're like, wow, I want to learn more. I want to know how do I actually plan for all of this? That is the House to Home Challenge. It is launching the beginning, of, middle of October. It runs for three weeks. You get three weeks live with me where I teach you those fundamentals of how to take that idea in your head and put it into a fully realized thought process and plan. So come join me in the House to Home Challenge and I'll. Give you all of the nuggets inside my brain. But it's been an absolute pleasure. I had a total blast talking to you about all things homes and construction and visions and insurance, apparently. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, eventually, like, a lot of things we talked about, I have a bunch of plans. I want, like, my – I want that kind of sauna. I want I want that uh, that uh, the hydroponic garden, mm-hmm. and I want my little studio or my finished basement. So there's a bunch of things I need to check out, and mm-hmm. I'll, be, I'll be checking out a lot of what you're – talking about uh in the future because like I, I, as i like not ready yet to do it but we're, when we pull the trigger yeah we'll definitely probably be checking you out thank okay. you very much
1: thank you it was a pleasure
0: have a good night
1: you too